to Intentionally Grounded, sponsored by GoRub, simplifying scout teams through simple and direct coach-to-player communication. Episode 20's guest is head coach of Freedom High School, Phil Vogt. Coach Vogt will take you through his pro-style, wing-T philosophy background and install and explain the intricacies of the wide zone. Coach will also detail teaching points and ways to protect the wide zone and why he believes it is so successful at every level. Coach Vote is a great resource for coaches of all ages, and his contributions to the profession have been valuable. His future is very bright, and we are excited to share his story with you. Don't forget to check out our website at igfootballcoach.com for all our blog posts and podcast episodes. And please leave a review on one of our podcasting networks, such as iTunes or Stitcher, and help share and grow our program with others. Enjoy our latest guest, Coach Phil Vote. We're here with Coach Phil Vogt of Freedom High School. Coach, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background in coaching. Uh, well, this will be my first season as a head coach. Uh, previously, I was at Palm Bay High School. I was over there on the east coast of Florida. I was an offensive coordinator there. Uh, before that, I was an offensive coordinator at Melbourne High School. It was actually about two miles down the road. Um, when the head coach left Melbourne High School, uh, he retired to go be closer to his family. Um, the head coach over at Palm Bay High School called me up, and uh, we talked a little bit. And you know, he had a lot of tradition over there. You know, he's been to the playoffs 25 times the past 24 years, and figured that'd be a learning experience that I couldn't pass up. So that's how I ended up there. And then uh, before that, I was at Cocoa High School for five years. I was there. Um, we won a bunch of state championships while we were there. And before that, I was at Merritt Island High School. That was my first year coaching right out of college. Um, before that, uh, during college, I was volunteering at a local high school uh, during the summertime before I would go up for fall camp. Uh, that, at that point, about right there, I knew that I wanted to get into coaching. You know, I started doing it a little bit while I was still playing, and uh, from that moment on, it was history. Coach, you've you've specialized in the pro T offense since you've been an offensive coordinator. Talk about that style and why it's so appealing to you. Uh, well, I actually didn't. Uh, I didn't start off that way. Uh, I actually was a wing T at first. Uh, that that came from being in a, a wing T household. My uh, old man, he was a uh, head coach since before I was born. You know, so I grew up on Saturday mornings watching you know, the Belly G and the Buck Sweet. And uh, ever since then, that that's what kind of ingrained that you know find the numbers and find the angles kind of uh, philosophy. And then uh, through coaching and playing in college, uh, I kind of liked you know the pro style of play. You know, where you had, uh, you know, like a, everyone, pretty much everyone knows that uh, we run a lot of wide zone now. So I like the wide zone and the counter and the power O. Um, but the, I didn't want to let go of those wing T philosophies. I really believe that if you can get the defense outnumbered on the edges and you can find angles, then you're going to be in good position. Even if you got kids that aren't quite as good as the ones that ca- cross from, if you got them in position to where, you know, if this step into the right spot is going to, allow them to be successful, then you have a good chance for your team to be successful. And that's why I kind of went to the pro T. I like the options that, you know, having those guys back in those pro sets with the tailbacks behind the quarterback it gives you. I feel like it gives them a lot of vision. They get to be downhill when they make their cuts. But then I like the angles and numbers, that type of philosophy that the wing T gives you, and that's where that blend kind of came from. What advantages does playing in a pro-style offense have for you And in- on the flip side, what kind of disadvantages has it presented to you over the years? Well, I feel some of the advantages are uh, the backfield gets to be downhill on their cuts. Like I said, it, it allows the backfield to be a little more physical. Um, right now, it's different. Um, 
nobody really runs what we run and people have a hard time with it just because it's different right now. It's that old saying what's old is new again. Uh, I believe that this is very adaptable to your different talent levels. You know, so if you have, you know, kids that can't just line up and beat the tar out of somebody in front of them, you can use the formations and the plays within the system to put them in positions where they have a little bit of an advantage. Uh, I feel that your offensive line doesn't have to be great because you're creating those those angles and those numbers advantage. And also with the, the wide zone play, you're getting lateral movement instead of vertical movement, which creates running lanes that way. Um, now, as far as disadvantages, I picked this style of play because of its ability to kind of mitigate those possible disadvantages. But uh, if you want to go out and chuck it 30 times a game, it's probably not for you. Coach, obviously the trend is the spread, and it's at every level, and it's popular um, with everyone. How how difficult is it for your players to buy in to your more traditional style football when all they see on TV on Saturdays and other teams is spread offense and throwing the football 30-plus times a game? I mean, around here in Florida, that, that can kind of be an issue sometimes because that is what they see. You know, they see uh, you know UCF and some of the SEC teams. But, you know, I'd say probably a good chunk of the country it still sees a lot of pro-eye and two tights and two backs. You know, anybody in the Big Ten watching Iowa and Wisconsin uh, and even Georgia and the SEC, actually, now that I think about it, you know, they, did, they did a lot of pro-style stuff. Um, but as far as uh, getting kids to buy in, uh, I, I believe kids buy in to what you're selling as long as you believe in what you're selling um they all they also buy into winning you know after they come in they see some success they tend to buy in uh, eventually they start to take pride in it they like that they're different they like that they have this uh, persona about them that's more physical than the other people that they play you know which may or may not be the case but you know when they have the attitude that they are more physical then that tends to carry over to the game i just i after you know i was going to say when we first when I first come in and start putting it in, you always have those, those kind of kids who are kind of, you know, reserved about it. Um, but eventually they usually all come around uh, once they start seeing it and start experiencing some success. And, you know, when the defensive players, you know, when they start talking with the offensive players about, you know, how much more difficult it is to stop and defend. Coach, within your offense, one of your staple plays has been the wide zone. Uh, talk us through what brought you to the wide zone play and what impact some of your influencers such as Alex Gibbs and Bobby Bowden have had. Uh, well, when I was at Cocoa High School, I was on the defensive side of the ball. I coached over there, and uh, I was the uh, defensive line coach while I was there, and we were getting ready to play a team out of Pennsylvania, Jesuit school. I think they're uh, St. Joseph's Prep, a Jesuit school up there in uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, at that time, we had just won our third straight state championship game, and we were getting ready to play this team as our kickoff classic at Disney Wide World of Sports. And so we're kind of watching them on film. And, you know, I see a bunch of guys who are about five foot ten, two hundred pounds, um, a couple tailbacks that maybe run a forward iron, you know, at, at the top end. They just didn't look that good on film, um, talent wise. And then, you know, I was watching, I was like, well, well, dang, you know, they only run one play. I was like, we shouldn't have any troubles at all. And then we get there at Disney and. Um, I mean, they just they ran that thing down our throats all night long. I mean, we just couldn't stop it. I mean, it was just, and it was just just like we saw on film. It was the same play over and over and over again. And I just kept taking my defensive line and washing them sideways and washing them sideways and getting you know four or five yards at a time. Um, every once in a while, the quarterback would keep it on the keeper pass, and you know they, they'd big play us there. It was just, it was just a nightmare. Uh, they came out in the third quarter and they went 18 plays 
all the way down the field until they score. We ended up losing 17-14. to 14. We, just, we just couldn't stop them. And it wasn't that they were, you know, blistering the field, you know, scoring a whole bunch of points. We just, we just couldn't get the ball back. And, you know, when I was riding home on the bus and I was just thinking about it, I was like, i got to figure out, you know, what that play exactly was because that's what I want to run when I get in a position to where I can call the shots. And, uh, once that happens, that's once that happens, then, you know, that's, I've been doing it ever since. Coach, you talked a little bit about just all the lateral movement that it creates in the defensive line. What are some of your teaching points for, for making the wide zone so successful and, and how many different variations do you have of it? Well, as far as making it successful, that lateral movement, two things are key. The lateral movement and then cutting off the backside. You got to get the lateral movement. A, a lot of people make the mistake of they want to take like a 45-degree step. Right? And, and what I always tell my guys is if they step upfield at all on that first step, they're beat, they're whipped. And, and, and to kind of emphasize that, I have the uh, offensive lineman and the defensive lineman, they take one step on the snap. You know, and if that defensive lineman is in a technique or a shade, he steps upfield and you take a 45-degree step, his head is already in front of your head, and you just got whipped. So to create that lateral movement, we got to step laterally. we got to step flat down the line of scrimmage. And that's the whole front side of the offense is doing that. They're all stepping laterally and trying to get their head across. Um, what I tell them is bite the donut on the outside shoulder of the defensive lineman because they got to get their head across. And they, they seem to understand, or I say a uh, blue crosses blue right now. Our helmets are blue. So that tells them that their blue helmet has to cross the defender's blue helmet that they get that hat across. And that's what we work on all the time to get that lateral move. Those defensive linemen, they're taught to fight a reach block. They're taught not to get reached. And so they start running outside. And when they start coming outside, we just kind of get on them and we just run with them. And uh, I call it the speed bump effect. You know, we just got to be enough of a speed bump to let the backs find the crease and get up in there. And, the backside, everyone talks about the front side and all the combinations. Uh, the backside is, is where the magic happens. Because if you can get the backside cut off, the defense has no defense anymore. There is no pursuit. So we work on the, the backside. We work on those, those guys that have a man in their gap. They have cut block. Or they're going to take three steps, and they're going to target the inside thyroid of the defensive lineman and get that guy cut down. If they can get that guy cut down, then that causes all kinds of problems with anybody flowing on the backside to get caught up in that mess. If there's nobody in that, in that gap, he becomes what we call a rat killer. That is, uh, he's going to aim at the, at the point where the linebacker is going to be. Uh, sometimes you'll hear people say aim at the, where the hips are of the next defensive lineman down. That's the kind of angle you want to take. All right. We're very similar to that. We take that kind of pass because we go to a spot where the linebacker is going to be, not where he's at. And we're trying to catch that linebacker and cut him off. And we always take a path to where that linebacker has to bubble over the top because we never want that linebacker to knife underneath. The good linebackers, the athletic ones, the ones that make plays, they always knife underneath. A knife underneath and make the play for, you know, one yard gain or a two yard gain. And so we got to make them bubble over the top. That way, if they do make the tackle, we still at least got three, four yards. Uh, once we take that path, uh, if he lets us engage him, we try to extinguish his soul. We try to bury him in the ground. Now we'll line him up between the numbers. But if he does bubble over the top, we're going to keep chasing him and we're going to chase him until he's picked up by a front side combination. And then we'll go get a, a secondary player, a DB. But if he's not picked up, right, we're, we're still chasing him. And what, what that means is the ball is getting ready to cut up the field, and the ball is going to cut right behind the rat killer. 
And when he when the ball cuts up, that linebacker is going to put his foot in the ground and try to change directions. And when he does, you hit him in the ear hole and squash the rat. And that's why we call that the rat killer. And then the so that lateral movement on the front side and getting the backside cut off. And part of getting the backside cut off is also what the quarterback is doing. Uh, the quarterback, you know, after he hands the ball off, he has to take three to four hard steps on a boot fake. And when he does that, he's whipping his head around and he's watching the defensive end. He's making sure that that defensive end is checking him. And if your quarterback is good at what he's doing, he's disciplined, then he's going to be able to hold the backside defensive end and the backside safety uh, from, from pursuing the play. And as soon as that quarterback comes back to you and tells you that the defensive end is not checking him, the very, the very next play we call is keeper. Right, so we're going we're gonna to try to run keeper as much as we can because it's, it's a very easy, high percentage pass to complete, and a lot of times the quarterback can just keep it, especially if the defense was flowing too hard. So <laughs> getting that backside, you know, getting, getting the cut blocks, and then what the quarterback is doing back there, that's going to help hold the backside. And then the front side, again, that lateral movement, right, that covered guy taking that flat step. Right, the uncovered guy, uh, he's a little bit different. He's still stepping flat down the line, but he's got to take more of an open step and he's got to turn his shoulders a little bit so he can run. And what he's doing, and he's trying to aim at the nose of the offensive lineman next to him. And he's going to run as hard as he can at that nose. And that defensive lineman of the cover man, he has uh, two possible scenarios. He's going to take him or he's going to shove him outside. And he has three steps to make that happen. And really the only time that he's going to take that defensive lineman is when he makes an inside move. If that defensive lineman steps hard inside, then he's going to go ahead and overtake him, and the covered guy ends up climbing. That's, that's pretty much the only time that happens. Other than that, you know, he's really going to try as hard as he can to shove that defensive lineman outside. Um, when he does shove that guy outside, then he can go ahead and climb up. And that covered guy, uh, sometimes you'll see two different things happen. The, the defensive lineman that's on the covered guy, he's going to step outside to avoid getting reached. He's going to get yelled at all week long not to get reached. Or he's going to try to play a, a read technique where he's going to step hard and try to push the offensive lineman backwards. Uh, and where that happens, that's where the uncovered guy really has to shove him outside and get that, get that read cleaned up for the tailback. That's what the tailback is going to do. He's going to read the second defensive lineman past the center. So when he sees that defensive lineman go out, he knows that he has to cut the ball up. And it's not a cutback play. You hear a lot of people talk about, you know, oh, it's going to cut back, watch the cutback. But it never really cuts back. And you'll see where, where the tailback, you watch film, where the tailback ends up hitting it, it usually ends up where his landmarks are. Right? So, so it's, it's just a cut up play, really. And then the whole flow of the offensive line is what's creating that image like it's a cutback play, which creates a lot of uh, discipline issues for the defense because they have to stay in their gaps and pursue within their gaps. If they pursue too fast, they pull themselves out of the play and the ball cuts up behind them. And then on the backside, you know, they're always getting yelled at, watch the cutback, watch the cutback. So they tend to kind of hang a little bit and they get cut off by your offensive lineman on the backside. And then uh, I should go back a little bit and talk about the tailback um, where he's doing, he's going to take an open step. He's at seven yards deep. He's going to take an open step, and he's going to aim right at the butt crack of the tight end. And that's his landmark. That's the landmark he's going to press. And he's going to take three steps 
on his third step, he should have the ball. The quarterback should have the ball in his belly, and he should also know what his read man is telling him to do. Because the offensive linemen also have three steps that they got to take before they commit and force a man outside or force a man to be overtaken. And on that third step, that tailback's going to see that that defensive lineman is playing out or he's jumped inside, and that'll tell him where to take the ball. It might take that tailback, you know, four or five more steps to get to where he's going to make that move, but he should know what he's going to do on that third step. And then we just tell him, be patient, press the landmark, press where that tight end was. You know, don't go chasing the tight end because the tight end's working out too, but press where that tight end was and then make your move. And then the, on the bounce reads where the defensive linemen jump inside, that happens fast. I mean, the tailback just know it. They all want to bounce outside anyways. Coach, we've talked to different coaches throughout this offseason that have talked about the importance of marrying your run game to your running back's strengths and abilities. So with that in mind, how important is your running back's ability and makeup to running a successful wide zone? I think uh, the number one priority for a running back in this offense is to be coachable. You got these guys usually who are the best kid on the football team, you know, from youth league all the way, you know, sometimes to, you know, by the time they get out into, you know, high level college or NFL, they've always been the best person on the team. And they're not, sometimes they're not used to being asked why they did something or told that, you know, you did that wrong. You know, they're used to, you know, here's the rock, go do something. So <clears throat> you got to have a kid there first and foremost that can be coached that is open to be coached because he's got something that he's supposed to do to make this system work. Uh, if he doesn't, he goes and tries to do his own thing. He cannot play tailback in this offense. And usually they catch on to that pretty quick. Uh, you know, when they stop getting the rock, they tend to start paying attention. And so as long as they can be coached, you don't have to have, you know, an all American. I mean, um, last year, Terrell Davis, he got drafted into the uh, NFL hall of fame. But, uh, you know, he was a six-round six overall draft pick, you know. I mean, and, and he really wasn't doing much uh, until, you know, Gibbs came there and put the system in. And then, you know, all of a sudden he's, you know, leading the league in Russian and he's breaking all kinds of single-game Russian records and season Russian records. And he's, you know, offensive MVP a couple of years. And, you know, it was all it's all part of the system. It's because he's able to be coached. Um, and then that's the kind of kids you kind of want back there, you know, when you uh, when you're putting the system in, they got to be coached. They got to be able to see the reads, be disciplined, be patient, and then when it's time to turn it up, they got to be able to turn it up. Um, getting downhill when the time comes to get downhill is also very important. You know, when they see that read go outside, uh, there is no shaking in this offense. You know, I t they get one cut and they get downhill and they live with it. They marry it. They can't be back there dancing around. Okay? They're not going to have enough time to sit back there and try to scat back like they're used to. So you got to get them really focused on and do drills that will get them focused on making that one cut and punching it upfield as hard as they possibly can. And then what I always tell my running backs is, you know, the offensive line is going to handle the first three to four yards. The rest is on you. That's why you're back there. That's why you're a tailback. And, you know, when you got a tailback that's not so good, you know, you're going to make, you know, a lot of four- and five-yard runs. Uh, when you got one that can make some things happen, then you're going to have some explosive plays. Obviously, the more talented the running back, the more explosive plays you're going to have. But the offensive line will try to take care of the first three to four as much as possible because we don't want him to get touched until he's able to get downhill and get a full head of steam going. But first and foremost, the, 
we want a tailback that can be coached back there and one that's willing to listen to you and trust you and trust the system. Uh, the ones that get back there and they try to dance around and you know, they think they're all Americans, uh, they don't last very long in this offense and they end up playing defense. Coach, what are some of the ways that you protect and complement the wide zone? And, and you talked a little bit about the, the quarterback keeps and the boots and a lot of stuff off of that, but what are some other ways that you complement the wide zone scheme that you run? Uh, well, like you said, uh, the keeper pass, obviously, uh, that's crucial. Uh, you've got to have the keep pass in because that holds the backside of the defense. And then when they're not respecting the keep pass, and you call it, and it's, it's very easy. I mean, usually the fullback is wide open or the tailback or the tight end is wide open, and then you have a deep comeback. You know, that's a pretty pretty simple route to complete. You just got to throw the ball to a spot. And then when all else fails, uh, the quarterback can keep it, I mean, especially if the defense is selling out of the run. The way The reason it works so well is because it looks just like the wide zone. It looks exactly the same. You have lateral movement. You have the backside trying to wash everyone down, get people cut off, and it just it just looks the exact same. So, the, the especially the linebackers, you know, for for the first few seconds, they think that it's run. They think that it's run, it's, especially if they're watching the offensive line because it looks the same. The offensive line all has the same rules, and then all of a sudden the bat, the quarterback is keeping it out the back door. Um, if you take that uh, that tight end and you solid block them, then now you have the secondary that's going to be fooled as well. I mean, if you don't want your tight end in a route, you just want to solid block them, maybe pick on the safety. Solid blocking that tight end. Everyone knows everyone reads two to one nowadays. You know, so when you have a tight end there, that tight end's number two. And he's solid blocking. He looks like he's run blocking. Those safeties are coming downhill to fill. You can slip routes in behind them usually. Um, something we do that's a little bit different than a lot of people do is we run the belly G. Um, I think that that really complements well with the wide zone. It helps protect that edge. Because uh, you get the type of edge players, you usually get two types. You get the type of guy who is going to try and stay outside and not get reached no matter what, and then you just keep running the wide zone at them. Then you get guys who are going to try to either penetrate or spill. Right? They're going to try to squeeze that play down. Well, with the belly G, that tight end is going to let him go. He's going to let that edge player go. He's going to gap down. And so that guy's kind of left on an island. He used to be in reach, you know, the last five, six plays in a row, and then now he's getting kicked out by a guard, and the fullback is going to knife it up underneath. And we tell the tailback, you know, he's going to take the same path as he would on wide zone to make the backfield look as, as similar as possible. And then, of course, you know, we run a little counter or power O, depending on the kids we have. You know, if uh, I got a fullback that's willing to go out there and stab people in the heart, then we'll run more power O. Uh, if not, then we'll run a little bit more GTO. You were recently hired as the head football coach in Freedom High School, as you've mentioned earlier. What should the parents, players, and fans of Freedom Football expect from a Phil Vogt coach team? I'd like to think that, you know, we're going to be a lot more disciplined. I'm sure every coach says that when they come in. Um, But I I really want to – I really focused on a lot of that this spring, being disciplined and knowing what we're supposed to do. Uh, We're going to have players that are in the correct positions. Uh, I've moved a lot of people around. i got 13 kids on the team that are in different positions this year. I just felt that uh, they just, a lot of things needed to be changed. Um, they, they're buying in. Uh, there was a little bucking to that at first, uh, but they're buying in now. They're working very hard. Um, so we have players in different positions, and I think they're the correct positions now, um, working a lot on responsibilities and what we're doing. But first and foremost, and above all else, we, we want to have players with character. We want you know men that are going to be upstanding citizens and be able to go out and be successful in the community. 
Coach, you recently released an ebook called Installing the Wide Zone. Talk about what it was like to write a book. And, and we've had a few other guests on our show that have talked about writing a book and how, um, you know, it's kind of an ebb and flow. It, it's tedious work and it's horrible to do at the time. And when you're done, it's one of the greatest feelings in the world. Um, talk to us a little bit about what it was like to write the book, what motivated you to write, and where we can get some copies of it. All right. Um, well, the reason I decided to write the book uh, goes back to, you know, when we played St. Joseph Prep when I was at Coco. And I was looking and searching and searching and searching and trying to find what this play was. I mean, I knew it was a zone play. It was an inside zone. Uh, and it wasn't like a, a lot of those outside zone teams that you see where, you know, they're, trying, they're ripping and running and getting on that outside shoulder and just trying to overtake. And it just looked a little bit different. I couldn't find it. Eventually, I came across um, – you know, that video series by Alex Gibbs on YouTube, where it's, it's, I think it's like eight parts. Um, and really, that's, that's really the only thing uh, that I really found on it. I just, from watching the film and those cutups, I was like, okay, that's the play. That's definitely the play. And from there, you know, I just studied that, you know, while I was still at Coco High, and watched the films over and over and over again, and started researching around and talking to different people that ran it. And it's just really hard to find information on it. And once I got into a position where I felt I knew enough about it, I wanted to be able to provide that kind of information out there where people didn't have to do what I did. They didn't have to go out and search and scrounge around for information. So I kind of did my best to put it all in one spot and to have it be reader friendly. Uh, and so where you could act, you could just read it and, easily go out and apply it and install it if you wanted to as uh, I put drills in there, I put footwork in there, uh, hand placement, uh, everything I could think of to make installing it as easy as possible without trying to fill it with a bunch of fluff. And it is mainly because I had such a hard time finding information on it and finding drills for it. Uh, you know, a lot of the drills when I first started out, I was like, well, maybe I can work on it like this. And it was trial and error until, you know, I started actually uh, talking with some people that had run it before. Um, fortunately, I actually got the opportunity to sit down with Alex Gibbs, and uh, I got to talk with him and see how he does things, and I actually got to watch him coach for a little bit, and, and that was very eye-opening. Well, I, was, I didn't put everything that uh, that he does in the, in the book because out of request, he didn't want things that were to be shared, but the things that uh, that I do that are successful and other people do that are successful, that's all in there and how to and how to run the play. But the, that was the reason why I wrote the book was because there's just there's not anything out there really. I mean, other than that YouTube series, um, and then uh, right now it's available on Amazon, iBooks, Scribed, Barnes and Nobles, and I think Nook. What does the future have in store for you, Coach? Like, what are some of your future goals, and is there an ideal position or level you'd eventually like to reach? Well, right now we're in a rebuilding phase at Freedom High School. Uh, I expect that to take a little bit of time. Uh, my focus right now you know, is right there at Freedom High School. I want to do that correctly. Um, I, I want those kids to be successful. I think that the, the talent and the want, the drive to be successful is there. Uh, it's just a matter of getting all the pieces fit to, to the right spots and getting the right people around them where that can be that's my uh that's my number one focus right now and i i imagine that's going to take a few years um in the long term uh, I, i'd like to, i think i'd like to be involved in college coaching at some level um, but for right now my focus is on getting freedom high school as best as it can possibly be 
that's a lot of great stuff, Coach. Um, as Now, we're going to switch away from football just a little bit. Um, as is a tradition on our show, um, we always ask our guests, um, if you were a professional wrestler or a professional uh, baseball player and you had a walk-up song that you could choose, uh, what would you choose and why? Why? I don't know. I mean, I, mean, I like Ted Nugent. I like Stranglehold is one of my favorite songs. So, I mean, I guess I would choose that or Bad Company by Bad Company. It's just because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just I like them. Well, Coach, we really appreciate your time and we appreciate all the information that you shared with us. And we really feel fortunate to have you on our show. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. If you found this podcast helpful, please take the time to go and leave a review either on Stitcher or iTunes, and let us know what you think.